Welcome to the Creator's Journey podcast episode 9. Every week I'd like to bring you a person working in a creative field to offer you their insights, experiences and a little taste of who they are and their creative journey. This week we have Simon Talbot, voiceover artist, ex-radio presenter and YouTuber with his channel Rogues Gallery Online. We had this conversation about a month ago and given what's happening in the world recently, I feel this conversation is quite apt when it comes to freedom of speech and cancel culture. So before anyone thinks we were talking about recent events, we really weren't and it's just coincidence. So without further ado, let's go. do as a job involves me being stuck at home all the time if i'm not writing about something i'm doing a voiceover and recording it both of these things mean i'm sat in front of a computer in my office all the time so actually being on lockdown where i'm spending all my time on a computer in my office all the time isn't that much of a giant leap although in fairness after doing it for about 10 years i was just kind of getting to a point where i was like i think the sort of solitary freelance life is starting to get to me a bit and i want to engage with the world a bit more and do more rather than just be here sort of writing about it and talking about it. And within a month of me thinking that, um, this happened. So it was, um, so it's kind of, so it's been kind of a bit of a, just, just as I start to think about getting out and about more, well, I'm forced telling to you it's not ready yet. No, the world isn't quite ready for me to engage with it yet. Which I'm, I'm seeing it a bit like that. So, <laughs> excuse me. So, so it's, um, so yeah, so it's, it, that's not too bad. I, I think it's actually given me quite a lot of, headspace and I, you know it's obviously it's not it's not a positive thing because i've lost a fair bit of work through it but the fact that it seems because this is such a global event and everybody is suffering to some degree or another that kind of um oh, what's that that kind of drive got to succeed got to do this and where you're constantly comparing yourself to other freelancers other companies other you know in terms of how how well respected am i how much money am i earning how many jobs have i got all this kind of stuff, which can be, which is a meaningless grind, really. And despite my best efforts, I was kind of getting sucked into that. And this, because it's been such a kind of global sweeping away of, of norms, has kind of erased that from me a bit. And I find myself a lot, I feel guilty for saying it, actually, but I find myself feeling a lot calmer and a lot more kind of happy in my own skin and a lot happy with what I'm doing. Everyone's been able to feel a lot calmer and a lot more happier that they've been able to have this moment of pause and reflection and just settle with their thoughts because mm. everyone's been going so quickly, so fast. It's so easy to just like not appreciate what you have already. Exactly. It's done me the, it's done me the world of good in, in, in that, in that respect. Um, because I, there was, there's various sort of, more creative things that I was doing. And that was, that was one of the things I was, you know, I was, I was looking at how I was spending my time and how I was earning my money and just sort of thinking, I, I want to be even be more creative than I am and be more in charge of my own destiny a little bit rather than, you know, what it's like when you're a, a freelancer, you're kind of, you're at the beck and call of the market and you're also one of a, you know, countless tribe of, of people who have similar skill sets to you. And I was sort of thinking, I, I, I wanted to explore mm. avenues where I can kind of be more of an individual and more creative. And every time I was thinking about that, 
I was getting that that message of, well, that's not going to earn you any money, is it? Mm, well, that's going to be this admitting defeat for all the stuff that does earn you money. And so I was constantly kind of going, oh, yeah, it's a bit of a hobby. I'll put it on hold. And because of this and because every, a lot of people are now thrown back onto their own resources, um, including myself, it means that things that I may have thought of as being, I don't know, a vanity project or a thing to play around with or that would be nice if it took off, but it probably won't, suddenly become more viable because so many people are having to completely mm. rethink how they structure their working lives and how they and just look at their lives going forward. Um, so it's and it's done me. It's enabled me to um, to start thinking of things that I wouldn't have thought of as being particularly serious, particularly seriously, which which I, which is doing me the world of good as well because that's kind of who I am. So yeah, mon- money aside and and you know financial concerns and obviously health worries for for friends and family and that. So it's you know it's, it's not exactly a holiday, but it, it, there are there, you know there are aspects of this that I'm not going to deny have have been have had a positive effect, even though I do feel terribly guilty every time I say that. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. I don't think anyone should feel guilty for being able to do what they want to do, even if it is just a hobby or a vanity project. It's still something that helps their mindset of creating normality in something that's not normal yes no i th- I, I think so and, and, the, and the, the, this situation isn't normal and the, the you know any kind of creative way of either living your life or earning money or doing both at the same time isn't strictly speaking by the definitions of society normal whether you you know whether you write for a living or paint for a living or whether you're a working musician or something like that you know it's not it's not the nine to five, is it? It's you're not clocking in. You don't have a career progression structure. You're a, you know, you're a wishy-washy creative. You're an artist. You're, you know, it's it's not normal. And I and I think I've been battling that kind of knowing I'm not normal, not wanting to be normal, but really thinking like I should be very, very normal. And the the kind of the battle between the two has been increasingly irritating me because I'm, I'm you're failing on both counts. You feel you feel un, unfulfilled on both counts. Because you're, you know, you're not fulfilling your creative needs, but also you're not, you know, ticking that career progression tick box. So you end up just kind of going around in circles, moaning all the time, which is kind of, at many levels, what I was, what I was kind of doing. So yeah, you mentioned wishy washy, and I, that's one way of looking at it. But then there is another positive way of looking at it: is that we are flexible. We have that creative flexibility of trying out stuff that we wouldn't normally try out yeah no I mean, I, I, and that's and this this situation that we're in at the moment i think in a lot of cases has forced people through necessity to 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 do that and in, in my case it was probably the a, a giant push that i needed and i know in a lot of people's mm. cases that's that's the last thing it is but for me i think i was constantly because of my what, what i do what i do for a living is i'm i'm i write about history and art so i i i do um, I write audio and multimedia guides for museums and art galleries? So I'm massively into history, and I've written for the National Gallery, Guggenheim Collection, various museums all over the all over the world. Mm. All of which are now closing down. Well, have closed down, and yeah. where loads of people aren't <clears throat> aren't even going to be visiting them. It's a bit of it's. I think someone I heard it described by someone as a cultural bonfire. What COVID nineteen has been in in terms of these are going to be the last things that reopen, and when they do open, people are going to be either too scared to go or they're going to have to be real social distancing things in place, which means that the volume of people going to museums and galleries and cultural sites is going to be massively reduced. So that's awful across 
that industry. I'm not quite sure how it's all going to work. In terms of in terms of my work, it meant that everything stopped. Yeah, I think I've read some something. I think it was last week or a week before where Italy was starting to reopen some museums. I think when an element of essentially what you do for a living just totally totally goes, mm-hmm. it would be like being a you know a lifeguard yeah. when they if they close the beaches. Oh, well, this is you know integral to what I do, yeah. so I can't do anything. Um, it would be brilliant. I mean, I, obviously, the cultural sites need to need to get some money from somewhere, and and having. A, a quarter of your visitors is better than having none of your visitors. So, so that's that's excellent. But from my point of view, in terms of their the amount of money they'll have to spend on things like tours, they're going, just going to be struggling to survive the next maybe two years just just to just to keep going and keep the core things together. So I, I'm looking at that side of what I do and going, that, you know, that could be pretty much dead and gone for for a good a good few years. But that's that's not such a bad. That's not such a bad thing. But then there's a new opportunity for it. Now there's even a more need for virtual tours and content to talk about. So because people can't physically be there, they can still see the things through the internet. The beauty of the internet is that you can go anywhere and see anything and read about anything. But now you can create content for these virtual tours because I think I've read in... Uh, for the Louvre, they did 360 photographs where you can just like take a virtual tour and you imagine just having someone like while you're looking at a painting, someone instead of reading about the painting, you have someone t- telling you what has been written about this. It's true. I mean, and yes, and it does open a, a, a lot of doors that way. I, th- I mean, I'm, maybe I'm being old school. I, I think part of the, part of my of what kind of gets the blood pumping in terms of this is the is the is physically physically being mm. in front of a, of a amazing piece of art, physically standing in a historic space, physically moving moving around um, a, a collection, seeing the things. It's it's a kind of it, it might, it, I don't want to be a sort of a luddite about it, but it it feels like a better a better experience. A more physical, a more more a more organic oh, experience I, than, I agree. than than seeing it than seeing a, however good and uh, the, the the virtual thing is. Although you're quite right, it does open up a huge amount of of potential for either the people who employ me to say, you know, we want to do virtual tours. Can you write those? Or me, which is probably the more important thing, going right. Well, I'll I'll find a niche and I'll write tours that are that are me, and I will yeah. and I will be in charge of my own destiny. Which is something that I'm also looking at doing when I do voiceover mm. work as well, and that uh, doesn't physically physically need to change because people will always need voiceovers. Companies have less money to spend on them, so that's a that's a bit of a knock there. But you know, so there's 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 work coming in, and there's and there's things coming in. What I'm concentrating on at the moment is a project that I've been doing for a, a good few years as a hobby, and we were saying earlier on that kind of that little creative outlet that you never you can't possibly dream you'll ever take anything beyond being just a thing you do for leisure this situation has forced me to go actually i will and you know um it's which is called rose gallery online and it started off as a as a youtube channel well it still is a youtube channel it has two taglines its initial tagline was libertines lotharios and complete bastards it's basically about badly behaved men and women throughout history so it's about rule breakers it's non-judgmental so it's um it's sex and drugs and period costume Essentially, I'm always a, always a big fan of those, those those great music biographies from the seventies, like Hammer of the Gods, where you yeah. hear you know you read about Led Zeppelin and their, their extraordinary behaviour. So these these extraordinary looking people mm. who had extraordinary talents, doing extraordinary things that you and, and kind of getting away with it that you couldn't possibly imagine doing yourself. 
and yeah, and transporting that into people from history. And strangely enough, I think people are willing to forgive bad behaviour if it's in period costume. If it's in a historical mm-hmm. setting, you it, it's it's a strange. I think it's dichotomy the word that you could you can make a joke about the Titanic going oh that you know my last meeting it went down it went down like the Titanic, and everyone ch- chuckles and, and says that's really funny because that was a disaster that happened a hundred. 100 years ago over 100 years ago and the people who died in it were all wearing funny clothes and talking in a funny way if you made a similar joke about i'm trying to think of, of a of a, a ferry disaster of the last 30 years you'd be absolutely crucified you'd be that's, ter- that's a terrible tasteless thing to say well mm. the the amount of tragedy and pain and death is exactly the same one however yeah. you have the remove of 100 years which makes it okay to have a laugh about it well the other one it's not. It's it's thirty or forty years ago. It's too soon. It's too soon. You can't do that. It's it, sort of. I mean, the writing of, of Rose Gallery is hope is hopefully funny. It's it's trying to, to to look at this in a non-judgmental way, but also to be entertaining, educational, funny. I, I'd much prefer people to laugh at it and and laugh you know, laugh with it. Um, yeah. And and enjoy the experience of watching it. But I used to do stand-up comedy, so I and and I'm a, I'm a sort of fan of comedy. So the idea that mm. you can't make a joke about something feels weird to me because there's there's a lot going on with freedom of speech at the moment that I find a bit unsettling about in terms of what you can joke about, what you can comment on. You've got to be, you know, that there's a lot of elements where. Well, I I had this I had this conversation with a previous guest on this podcast about joking about the coronavirus, and we talked about how some people perceive it as tasteless because people are dying from coronavirus but the way i perceive it is that if you're saying something funny it's funny it's not it's not meant to be taken seriously exactly and it's not meant to provoke anything it's just it's a funny comment and it's a joke take it as it is it's and not be too serious about everything. Well, exactly. I, I think there's there's a there's a great. It seems seems to be the a, a mood at the moment to, to. I mean, comedians. It must be awful being a, a stand up at the moment because I'm from what I've heard. There's kind of, you know, you you you're, you're advised. It's, it's not you know. There's no such thing as you can't say a joke about this. You're advised not to, or you strongly suspect if you did tell jokes about this 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 or this, the audience would turn against you, or there'd be a Twitter mob. Or you're, you know, there's, there's, I heard a thing on somebody. There's a, a a quote from a comedian who says, said to somebody, the joke that's going to ruin my career is already out mm. there because people trawl back through your old material and try and find things. And it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's very dangerous in in terms of in terms of political discourse, in terms of historical discourse, in terms of comedy, when people feel afraid with the things they can say. Mm. Um, obviously, if you tell a tasteless joke, you have to be in a position where you can be responsible for the backlash that yeah. you might get. And that's fine. You'd be responsible for what you say. And if you tell a joke and it's not funny and nobody laughs, again, that's your responsibility as if you're just a comedian. But people shouldn't be deplatformed. Shouldn't people shouldn't be shouldn't be stopped from stopped from telling those jokes, you know, both both professionally and kind of, you know I agree, I agree. And just to add to that, it's what you said about a comedian uh, who's the one that's ruined their careers will be the one that they've already told. And a perfect example was um, Kevin Hart was meant to present the 
Oscars. Oh, that's right, yeah. What took him down was Twitter being outraged from a joke that he told, like, a good half a decade ago. What I've really, really interested and, and, and freaked me out a little bit is when I was, a, when I was younger... Mm. All the censorious people, all the sense, all the kind of you can't say that and you can't do this and you can't do that. They were all pearl clutching Mary Whitehouse, Daily Express, Daily Mail reading types, <laughs> um, who who were older and just go, oh, you can't do that. And it, and and there was always something reacting against it. So you'd have one, you'd have alternative comedy, or you'd have punk, or you'd or you'd have people. You know, that was they were the people I always assumed would be the the kind of the, the enemy of of freedom of expression by telling you what you can't, you can't mm. say that it's rude. You can't say that it's, that's, you know, you can't swear. That's, that's limited vocabulary. You can't nowadays, those same sentiments are being pushed not by pearl clutching Mary Whitehouse types, but by groovy people with cool haircuts yeah. who are on Twitter. And, but they're saying essentially exactly the same thing. You can't say that and you can't do this. And I'm terribly offended. And this is outrageous. And you shouldn't be allowed to, to say or do or paint or, or sing or whatever about this. And it's, I, I think if you're not on social media, you kind of go, really? That, you can't say that? And, you, and it, it's an, it feels like it's a kind of encroaching thing. Which we may be past. It may, you know, I, I do, I do see elements where the, it's kind of being broken up. And the, and the, the, the COVID thing that we're in at the moment, you know, you can only be that censorious and that kind of morally outraged in a kind of financially secure. You've got the luxury to be offended by somebody's joke. If you're worried about your health or you're struggling to find work, you don't have the luxury to to, to kind of go. I think I found the shoes you were wearing there um, from a vegan perspective particularly offensive. You, you can't do that mm. because you're worrying about where the next where your next meal is coming from or how your parents are faring in lockdown or things like that. Yeah. So it might just be that thing has had its had its day. Maybe that maybe no. The- well, I I think it just I think at the moment everyone's focusing on different things, but when they're in that bubble of comfort. Like someone always needs to be morally or socially outraged about something, whether it was a joke or something someone said like 10 years ago. It's still, they need to have, have that mob mentality of being outraged or uh, they want to do something good for the world without actually doing anything good for the world. Yes, it's it's far it's far easier to moan and cancel and yeah. destroy than it is to than it is to create or debate. Yeah, I mean this is this is this is this is the the, the the main thing. It's kind of like if you think a piece of you know a piece of art or an opinion isn't very good, it's perfectly you're perfectly within your rights to say it's awful, rubbish. I can't stand it. Demanding it be removed from a wall or demanding that person loses their right or platform to say something. It's not the way of doing it, mm. you know. Again, as as anybody who, who creates anything, whether it's a you're an architect or whether you're a comedian, it you know you 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 stand by your work, and if somebody slags it off, it doesn't feel very nice. Mm. But you can then robustly defend yourself, yeah. and then accept you can't please everybody, and that's fine. You can have a you can have a debate. You might actually go, well, maybe maybe it's not such a good building, or the person may be going, actually, maybe that wasn't such a bad joke, or maybe you'll just agree to disagree. Mm. That's debate. That's healthy. Yeah. That's that's. More, it's more than healthy. It's vital. It's essential to try and smother that by saying, "I don't like your opinion." Therefore, that building is being completely demolished, or you are never performing on a stage again. That that's really dangerous. Mm-hmm. And you know, you extrapolate that all over, and you can, you know, you could do it with art. There's, there's, you know, Enie Blyton books, which are, which you know, yeah. uh, her opinions are awful, but in in the light of of sort of modern sensibilities. But she was writing in the nineteen what the nineteen thirties, so. 
but so you can watch it so you don't remove them from libraries it's the same for disney films as well like people who have disney plus there are some films that have that are questionably uh got characters that reflect a, a certain period of american history like the way like the black crows act in dumbo or there are certain characters that are quite stereotypical of a certain culture. And instead of cancelling that, removing it from its history, they put a, a warning label saying, this was made in a period of time when everything in this film was acceptable. But we do recognise that this is not acceptable now. But we don't want to remove the history of it. Which I think is it's. I think that's a good. That's a that's a, a good thing to do. I mean, I, I'm just kind of kind of. You know, people should people should kind of make up their own minds about if if you see that you need things need to be in context. Mm. And I, I think having a, a an almost kind of we're really sorry for showing you this because I know you might be offended, but we're going to show it because no, no, no. yeah, it, it's still part of our history. Yeah. yeah. I'd rather that I'd rather there was that was there and everything was you know you had trigger warnings left right and center and everything had a you know be careful sticker on it I'd much rather there was that I don't I don't feel particularly happy about that but I'd much 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 rather there was that than it was removed than yeah. they just edited it out because and and there was a thing the other day about um Netflix had removed a a scene in Back to the Future 2 Oh really and there was a yeah, well, it was, uh, they they stuck it back in again and, and made some made some kind of apology. So there's a there's a, a briefest scene where oh, one of the characters I've can't, this is a long time since I've seen the movie, but one of the characters is looking for kind of like he's in the future and he's looking uh, this great book of of you know the the, the, the future society are, are basing their life around. Oh, yeah. And you open it up and there's a and there's a a, a, a girly mag in between the, the pages. <laughs> and it's called something like Ooh La La magazine. It's obviously it's a it's a, a take off of Penthouse magazine. And it's and it's just kind of got Ooh La La magazine and a picture of a saucy woman on the front as an obvious nod to, you know, somebody pretending to be reading a great educational tome and they've got penthouse slipped in the, in the middle. It's a pretty simple, you know, joke. It's not, not nothing nothing too offensive there. But Netflix removed that scene, mm. and people were up in arms, were saying, you know, make sure you've got your physical digi- physical copies of old of movies, because once they get digit into the digital world. People will be going, oh, can't have that, can't have that. Let's take this out. No, I'm not sure. And and uh, you know, Netflix replaced the scene and said, oh, that, that was a it accidentally got uploaded by mistake. It was a blah blah blah. Just wait, Back to the Future one when Marty McFly doesn't play Johnny B. Good anymore. He plays something that a white person made. Well, it's, yeah, it, 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 exactly. I mean, it, it's and it's it sounds ridiculous and it sounds like the kind of thing you can make a joke out of. And but then you you look at you know a lot of what's going on and some of this insanity is just kind of. People are taking it seriously, and that's it's concerning ac- across the board mm. that trying to create to create a debate about that, it's easy to get brickbats thrown at you from people who don't want to debate, and I think those brickbats are so horrible, you know, various, you know, you're you're racist because you can't say this, or you you hate this next section of society. It means that nobody wants to be accused of that, and nobody wants that sort of s- social stain on their uh, on their attached to their name. So people don't say anything, and that's again, that's that's a, that's a kind of bullying that this kind of all-inclusive society is supposed to be against. Yeah, and it just furthers the polarization of our society. Exactly, yes, because everything's everything's black and white. Yeah, nobody can have an argument anymore. 
Like if I if I don't agree with you, I'm not going to be friends with you, or I won't talk to you anymore. Exactly, and how ridiculous is that? Yeah, exactly. There are certain there are certain characters in the, in the media. I think I mean Piers Morgan's one of them mm. who who is a very polarizing character. That's his shtick. He's paid mm. to be really polarizing. He's paid to to be a provocateur. Yeah, and with him, it's kind of like it used to be like people just don't like him, and it's they don't like him, and they don't like therefore they don't like anything he has to say. Mm. And I find him a very polarising character, and I've moaned like hell about his attitude to X, Y, Z. Yeah. And then I've gone, actually, I agree with him about that, though. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's being human, isn't it? I don't agree with you on this, this, and this. I agree with you on this, and I agree with you on this, yeah. and I think you're a bit irritating when you do this. But I agree with you on this. Mm. There's, a, there's light and shade and nuance. It's not kind of, you know, I'm, just because I agree with him on one thing doesn't mean I agree with him on everything. And you, you extrapolate that, and but people know... If you agree with one thing that he says, you're out of my life. You're you're clearly a this, that, or the other. Yeah. And it's and it, when you apply that to everything, it's absolutely ridiculous because there's light and shade, and and you, people are in, are entitled to like some aspects of a person. It's like the, the Churchill thing. There was a, there was a guy trying to get um, statues of Winston Churchill removed because of his at, his attitude to race, and mm. I think it was I think it was him. I should know this being all history buffy. But it was it was him, I think, that was inst- one of the instigators. No, it wasn't him because I think about concentration camps. They first started in the Boer War, and it was kind of a, uh, if not a British invention, we we sort of took the concept and really ran with it in the, during the Boer War. Mm. And people were saying, you know, um, Churchill's uh, opinions were racist, and statues should be taken down. And you look at a lot of the things he said, and he said some awful things. And he may not even have been a very nice bloke. He also said some really witty things as well. So exactly, and 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 uh, you know, I was going to say arguably. I don't think it is arguably. Got us through the Second World War. Mm. So what do you what do you do? You, your heroes are not allowed to be flawed anymore. Mm. You know, it's it, it it's that kind of you. He's he's either a, a, a rampant racist, and we should completely ignore the fact that he got us through the Second World War, or we should ignore the fact that he had some really unpleasant views of of that. I think even by the term by even by the standards of his time. He was considered a little bit hard line, mm. but it's so. Just look at the look at the man. Look at the whole yeah. flaws, warts and all, flaws and all, and and get a true, a true balanced picture of the man, or get a true balanced picture of the era or of the event. Yes, but certain you know certain people don't want that balance. They're like, well, you you did that, therefore you're you're dead to me. Mm. It's like, well, that's ridiculous. Get get remove him from history. Remove his statues or her statues or their statues, and it ju- it just seems so draconian. And at some point, you'll just end up rubbing yourself out because mm. it, it just that that kind of mentality eats itself. And, and when what do you do when you've got rid of those statues? You go after those, and then those, and then those, and then suddenly, people that you admire are getting taken down. And then what happens? And it's 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 very concerning. And I, I get quite passionate about it, certainly in terms of the effect it has on history and history and art. I don't think it's hel- I don't think it's healthy at all. But I mean. And the effect on society as as a whole. America is the best example of how everything's so polarized it's black or white or it's red or blue and it feels like it's a a civil war that that where there are no actual fighting with uh, weapons but there is a, a war of ideals yes like a, a civil cold war i suppose or, or a cold civil war i suppose yeah and it and it's not healthy it's not healthy it's it doesn't if anything, it hinders the society, then it does help it. Exactly, because again, there's no there's no middle 
ground that that huge that huge bit in the in the middle yeah. you've got these two absolutely passionate to the point of being zealots on one side and passionate to the point of being zealots on the other and the great mass of people in the middle who 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 should be served by these people are just getting caught up in the crossfire mm. of two sets of of extreme ends of of ideologies where there's so many people in the, in between and the, yeah. and you're not you're not allowed to go he may have a point there. You're not allowed to debate. You're not allowed to think for yourself because you, you'll, you'll be smothered with, with you know, you'll either be called stupid or, or, or worse names or you'll be socially ostracised. And no, none of this is healthy. The one thing that people always forget about conversations like this is that we are not our political views make us. There are a lot more things that connect us than there are that divides us. And what I mean by that is that I can befriend people on the right, I can befriend people on the left. And, but the thing is, I befriend these people not because of their political views, I befriend them because they are decent people. Yes. And it- people think, oh, he's a Trump supporter, I can't be friends with this person. Or he's a Jeremy Corbyn zealot, I can't be friends with this person. But hey, we we all read the same books. We all enjoy the same movies. We all have different interests that only people like us would enjoy. And it's hard enough to find someone who has similar interests to you. Hmm. Why are you narrowing it down to like what their political view is, what race, what creed, what their sexuality is? Why narrow that down even further to making it? virtually impossible to find someone who you can befriend well exactly right and, and, and again with with what's going on at the moment i think people are hopefully starting to starting to, to to see that it doesn't if the you know if the person who is um popping around to leave food in front of your parents or grandparents house because they're under lockdown um supported brexit does that mm mean that you don't aren't massively grateful for what they're doing well mm. no of course not but you know do, do, and i think it, it people with what's happening at the moment people are starting to see hopefully starting to see people as people rather yeah. than on on or rather than representing ideologies or representing certain you know thought patterns or whatever that's yeah. a nice that's a nice guy Oh, he, 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 you know, he, he reads a newspaper that you don't read and he votes for a, a, a political party you don't vote for. And he's, you know, probably in favor of a few things. Well, whatever, he, you know, he helped my gran out. He's a nice, and he yeah. always, he's always nice to me. He's, he's, he always says hello. You, people are starting to see through that you're either this or this. You're either with us or against us mentality. Mm. And actually, ho- actually, hopefully, having more of a, a sense of, of community and, and human interaction. Mm. Rather than- yeah, and I hope I hope this carries on after the pandemic. Like we don't go back to saying, "Oh, he's a Brexiteer or he's a Ramona or whatever." It's just I'd like to think so. People, yeah, and like people remember if they were selfish, if they were caring, or if they were just apathetic about everything. But it's just just focus on whether people are yeah. decent, whether they're kind, whether they're helpful in the time of need it's the martin luther king thing and i've heard it quoted so many times about it's not about the color of your skin it's about the i've misquoted it now but about your your character or something or the or the or the or you know your heart or whatever and it 
and you you say stuff like that, and some people look at you like you're being incredibly naive, but it's actually a hundred percent true. It makes not a blind bit of difference mm. any of the external stuff. It's whether you're a decent human being or not, and that is all that matters, and that should be all that matters. And it seems at the moment mm. that's almost been forgotten. You know, that's that's the last thing people mm. think about is what is what you're actually like as a person because you've got a massive tick box of other other things that that have to be acceptable before people even get to your character or who you are or you know and that, and that again just seems completely um, about face as to, as to how it should be i agree and since the lockdown we've been able to talk to our neighbors a lot more which was something that did not happen before hmm. and i'm i know i'm not i'm not the only one who probably is guilty of this but it's really intimidating to talk to someone that you don't know and especially if they live next door to you and hardly ever see them yeah but because of lockdown we're a lot in the vicinity a lot more and if we step out they'll most likely be outside enjoying the sunshine and you you strike up conversations and that old adage you don't talk about politics and you don't talk about religion and if you don't talk about those things you just talk about them as, as a person them as a family and you kind of strip all that back and you realize okay they're not they weren't as intimidating as i first thought no and i think you know, i think that if this situation would had like a, a, a definitive cut-off moment so like we use a second world war as an example you, you mm. know ve day you know, today we're at war, yeah. tomorrow we won't be at war. Definite cut-off, mm. have a big party, and then I would be more inclined to think people things will go back to how they were before because you have a definitive cut-off moment of like, well, that was they were the bad old days, but now everything's, hooray, I can go to the pub again, woo. Yeah. Because this is going to be such a gradual change, and I don't even think change back, I think it's going to be a gradual change to a new new normal. And the financial ramifications of of what this will uh, this has created as well will will go on for quite some time. I think people will be more community minded because it won't be a case of it was horrible, but now it's all now it's all stopped like that. Mm. And I think people will just as this evolves into something, you know, once the once the medical threat has gone away and everyone's dealing with the financial fallout, that will take a lot of time. And I think people will once again will need help. People that didn't may never may never have needed financial help in their lives before will need help. Will need community help. Will need need somebody to be empathic to, to, to their needs, and yeah. and I think that's something that's not just going to be switched off, even if they found a vaccine tomorrow. And and yeah. again, that might that and from a society point of view, that might be that might be quite a, a, a positive thing. I'd hate to think we'd, it'd go back to, you know, everyone suddenly worshiping vacuous celebrity and and. Mm. Um, you know, making shed loads of cash and all that kind of stuff. I'm not naive enough to think we're going to be living in a in in some sort of 1960s Coca-Cola ad where everyone's <laughs> sp- spinning around full of full of love and joy. But you know, yeah. there's a, there'll be a there'll be a medium in between. I think. So we've gone on a very long tangent. We did about free speech, proper odyssey. Yeah. But it's pretty good. Uh, however, this is a podcast about uh, creators and their journey. So how did you? get to where you are like where did it all stem from and how did it all start um it started at the civil service remarkably enough so when i was when i was in sixth form in the in the in the mid 80s 
um, I wanted to do something creative. I didn't know what. I wanted to be on the radio, actually. I wanted to be a, a radio presenter. But my, our careers teacher gave us um, various pamphlets about various careers based on a, a brief interview they had with us. And I got one saying, so you want to be an estate agent? And I wrote on it in quite a sort of precocious way. No, I don't. I want to be a radio presenter. And then I wrote something like, and I will be. You'll see. This is cringe-inducing now, but I was you know, in my in – my, No, I think that's good because I was the same with uh, wanting to be a computer games designer. So I, so, I, so I wanted to do something creative, and then I kind of had a massive confidence drop, I guess, I was like, oh, I can't possibly, I can't possibly, and it's this that voice that tells you no, the self, the self doubt, and the self censor, and the, the the self critic. I think. So what I did, I went for the easiest possible option after I left school, and rather than go to university or go to college, I got a job in the DHSS uh, as a as a clerical officer, which I lasted about three months before I I left the day before they were going to sack me because I, it was such a ghastly job for me because it was just numbers and and stats and stuff mm. but i ended up in i ended up sort of batting around the civil service for the next three years i worked for the department of transport and then the department of education it's just it's just not me i was i was taking the easiest option and i was walking mm. back to the the staff club it's uh, in warwick at the warwickshire county council and i was chatting to a bloke who was i guess pushing retirement age as we were going for our subsidized dinner at the staff club and um he said you know i you, you, know, you know how it is, he said, you, you, you come to a job like this and you think you're going to do this and going to do this, and then suddenly you turn you turn around and you're 56. And and, you're, and I remember sort of looking at him and thinking, that's not going to be me. I'm not mm. going to have years of regret. So I quit and I went to, I went to college, got a couple more A-levels, and went to university in London, did media studies, and then spent most of the 90s doing stuff on commercial radio in, in the Midlands. But again, I, I, I moved back to London, was a stand-up comedian, um, I did improv as well on stage, so I did did stuff like that. And I was working for a commercial community commercial radio station in Coventry, and I worked for the BBC in Coventry for a bit. Never any kind of career path. I was just kind of doing stuff, mm. which when you're younger, you kind of feel that that's that's okay. I'll just I'll just drift into this and I'll drift into this. But I didn't have any kind of oomph, if you, if you like. Yeah. I'd do it and enjoy it, and then I kind of get a bit bored with it, and then I wouldn't put in the extra extra miles that you need to make a success of it. So when I was doing stand-up, I did it for about 18 months on the circuit. And there were people who were doing three gigs a night every night. Mm. And about 15 years after I stopped doing it, you'd just start to see them on the telly. Yeah. And it's like, you've been, you know, you've been, that's a, that's a massive commitment. A huge amount of hard work has got you to where you were. And I wasn't prepared to either put the work in or my brain would just go, oh, that was, you know, I, I was a bit of a dilettante. I, I had a play with that. Oh, I'll have a play with something else now. So I sort of bummed around doing various weird ways of making a living. And I was working as a salesman or as a waitress in a cocktail bar. Um, I was working as a salesman for a, a telly salesman for a company. Um, again, awful, <laughs> dreadful kind of. If I didn't think you could earn 40K, I wouldn't even be talking to you kind of um, company. I'm just like, oh, jeez, oh. you people are ghastly. Um, and I got a job in Suffolk because I was d desperate to get out of that. And I applied for a job in the Media Guardian. It was my final throw of the dice. Mm. I was going to leave London and go back to the Midlands. And I'm not sure what I was going to do, but I was thinking, you know, this, this is, I, I can't just live, live like this from, from thing that's fun to thing that's not fun and, uh, and all that kind of up and down. So I got the, a job working in Suffolk um, at a company producing in-flight entertainment in the days just before the digital sort of revolution. Yeah. And I essentially made mixtapes for a living. I'd, somebody said this to me, and I took it as a bit of an offence, but actually they were 100% right. 
So I had a studio in a in a building in a, in the middle of a field in the middle of the Suffolk countryside. Yeah. And I used to used to make music um, programs for all sorts of different airlines, jazz shows, rock shows. Some of them I presented. Most of them I was just researching the music, stitching it together. All sorts of different world music, comedy, mm. spoken word, all kinds of things. It was fascinating. Got made redundant from that after a few years. Got into, blagged my way into advertising. I worked for an advertising agency as a as a copywriter okay. um, for a few years, based in Ipswich. Um, learned a lot doing that, but it wasn't my forte. It wasn't mm. me, and I, that kind of crept up on me, thinking this is not. I'm just an average copywriter because I'm my heart's not in it. It's not. It isn't. Yeah. This isn't what I want to do. Yet another one of these great cathartic moments, and I in the same year I think I got a presenting job on BBC Radio Suffolk. Because um, I used to do some shows on ICR, Ipswich Community Radio, yeah. with a mate of mine, Matt Marvel, who still works for BBC Suffolk. Mm. And we did a, a, a podcast and a show on ICR called the Urban Sofa Beat Collective. Um, and we got into BBC Radio Suffolk and got and both of us got presenting work and that for 10 years. And I did a couple of voiceovers and blagged my way, if you like, into doing that as a career. Mm. So that gradually got more and more contacts. And I, again, saw another job in the Media Guardian and applied for this job as a, as a writer and got this gig um, working for a company doing audio tours. And I got sent to Milan and I got sent to Munich. And then I got offered this job at the, um, at the National Gallery doing a kids tour. And that mm. went down really well. And, and that's that. So that, and that's been about 10 years of, of doing those three jobs, yeah. writing and being on the radio and doing, and doing voiceover. And that's been it. And now... I think we're coming to the end of another kind of period because I don't think the the tour writings kind of evolved into something, and I don't do very much of the radio anymore. But I'm doing Rogues Gallery, and I'm yeah. looking to be even more creative and and branch out even branch out even more. And I've seen Rogues Gallery, and it's so fascinating the stories that you tell. But it's also the way you tell it. You're very. It's obvious that you're very enthusiastic about it. Do you think that your time as a as a stand-up comedian has helped you bring out those enthusiastic and the comic timing and everything about that. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think being in front of a microphone for the amount of time that I've been in front of a microphone means that when you're doing narration, you're you're not. It feels more comfortable to kind of be yourself or be a character. Mm. I'm not intimidated by a microphone, so in that res- respect, it's it's been really useful. And I think when years ago when I did improv, one of the things about improvisational comedy, and I I think improv is such a brilliant thing. I haven't done it for donkey's years. I'd love to go back to doing it. Is that it trains you, the voice in your head that says, you can't do that. Don't do that. You'd look silly. Mm. It trains you to completely switch that off. What's the first thing in your mind? Chaffinch with a hat on. What? Where'd that come from? Doesn't matter. Go with the next thing. Go with the next thing. However stupid it is, and it's not stupid, however however surreal Mm. it is, just say it. Just say it. Let it all come out. And I and I, I think that's that's been really useful mm. for me. That that sense because my my self critic voice is hugely loud and very insistent. Ah. And I think having that training just to go shut up, bugger off, and ignore it, it has been incredibly useful. Yeah, and saying yes as well. I've, I, I've, I've again, it's that confidence thing. But when you, I still haven't read the book, um, Danny Wallace's Yes Man, but I I I get the the, think, the thinking behind it. Mm. Is that just you know what's what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And I think again because of the situation that we're in, where the worst that can happen is a lot closer to home than it ever has been for many of us ever. Mm. It puts into perspective that oh if, you know I might get this wrong, I might mess this up, I might look a bit silly. So what? It doesn't yeah. matter. You know it, I, I think there's there's elements of that as as well, and I celebrate that 
with the, the, a lot of the rogues didn't give a toss what people thought about them. And that's something that I'm very passionate about because I spent a lot of my time and still do up to a point, maybe like all of us, really worrying about what people think, mm. which I think is very negative, very destructive. So the, the great thing about the rogues is they just didn't care. And some of them were absolute swines. And some of them just liked getting drunk or just like having sex or just like being yeah. eccentric. And and they they knew who they were and they reveled in it and they didn't care about society's opinion of them. And that's kind of what I'm enthusiastic about when I, and I try and make these characters as colourful in my narration mm. as they were in were in real life. You do that so well. I'm still trying to figure out how you've gotten to that point where you're so comfortable about talking about these things and it feels so natural where when I try to speak I always kind of stumble on my own words because I'm trying to think what I'm going to say next what am I what am I going to say next how do I put it eloquently and you manage to be able to not only do that really quickly but you can do it that really 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 well oh thank you it's it's, it's I think it's just it's it's having that switch not on that, that tells you you can't say that and being genuinely passionate about what I'm what I'm talking about and if, if, if you ask me about Ipswich Town Football Club mm. I wouldn't I couldn't be I'm, I haven't got a sporty bone in my body <laughs> so I wouldn't be able to I wouldn't be able to be uh, quite as quite as um, I don't know passionate or eloquent about that just because I don't care mm. um, but things you know things that I'm I'm passionate about and and and, the, and again, the, the, the stories of what I'm doing, and I think part of it is also it's a celebration. It's a non-judgmental celebration. Even mm. even the real swines like Vlad the Impaler and and people like that, you know, you, you, they, you know, they're, they're not um, they're mass murdering psychopaths. They're not <laughs> they're not funny comedy figures. But just by being enthusiastic about the history behind who they were and why they did what they did, um, and trying to get their story out to people who may not be into history at all because I think it's boring and dry mm. is a, is a motivating factor for me, but it's not, I'm, I, I never assume that I'm educating or teaching. I'm just enjoying a story. Yeah. And if, and if that passion for enjoying that story means that somebody looks up more stuff about, I don't know, you know, whatever it is, 15th century Eastern Europe or, or whatever, then that's brilliant. But essentially I just want you to have a laugh. Yeah. So and it's, it's not you being a serious historian; it's you being a storyteller. No, that's that's the last thing. I, that's your. You've got it in. You've, you've got it in one. I'm I'm a storyteller. Yeah. I wouldn't. I'd never class myself as a historian yeah. in any way, shape, or form. And because some of them, I mean, some of the things that I talk about, they're some of the, the stories about these people are unverifiable. Some of them are mm. rumours, and they may or may not be true. Some of them are rumours, and they're almost definitely not true. It doesn't make them any less entertaining. That's true. And I try and make. I try and make that clear, mm. but if you if you hear a story about I'm trying to think off the top of my head about um, Mad Jack Mitten, this incredible Regency drunk who um, used to hang, he had his own pet bear, chained his dad up in a cage, um, <laughs> rode rode into rode into a, a dinner on a wild boar or something with two bottles of claret in his hand, an incredible sort of Keith Moon of the 1830s kind of kind of character. Some of the some of the stories are verifiable fact and some of them are rumor and mm. they may have rumor has become embellished over time they're still really entertaining stories mm. if you discover the character of, of mad jack mitten as a result of seeing my video or indeed if i did do, do a book about it reading reading about the thing and that makes you want to find out more about him and you find out that some of these things are just rumors i don't mind about that i'm not i'm not saying these things are hard and fast fact 
I just want to get you into history. I just want to get you into looking at these characters mm. and all, all just being inspired to maybe not give as much of a toss in your own life yeah. and, and not, not care too much about what people say. Yeah. And again, that kind of goes back to freedom of speech, but you know, you, you, I, I, does it matter that somebody on Twitter or Facebook or whatever gets a grump with you because of something you've said? Does it really matter? It's exactly, you know, it's just like... When it comes to the truth, like, it's that famous Mark Twain quote, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Which is, yeah, that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly right. Yeah, and... And Rogue never, never claims to be the absolute unvarnished truth. Mm. It doesn't claim to be anything. But if it, it, if, it, if it entertains you and if it stimulates you, then I'm happy, I'm happy mm. with that. So do you think being on YouTube and having a... Do you call it a show or do you call it a, it's a channel? Isn't it? Yeah. I suppose having a channel. It's been, that's been a bit of a journey actually, because the, the, the it's, again, it brings me back up to the, to sort of on to censorship on, on, so on social media and on online, mm. I suppose some of the, some of the material, because it's, you know, there is colorful language and there is colorful imagery, um, shall we say in some of the videos, not all of them. Um, and those videos that do have that, the, 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 incredibly we're doing this for your own benefit youtube algorithm will age restrict i mean i'm lucky it could it could kick the video and the you know every every ch- channel and ch- video on youtube can be summarily mm. cut down and removed i'm not i don't earn any, earn any money out of it because the nature of the, the saucy nature of the of the um the channel yeah. um the risque nature means that there no advertiser apparently would want to touch it with a barge pole because it's not family friendly mm. so i don't so it's demonetized um, which means it doesn't get pushed much anyway. Yeah. Um, and certain things get age restricted, which I don't have a problem about. I don't want. I don't want kids exposed to to you know Mad Mitten with his bear and his <laughs> three bottles of claret a day and uh, and whatever else. Victorian BDSM. So, well, yeah. Well, I've I've done one. I've, I've done a, yeah. a video about um, the Berkeley horse, the um, the the famous flagellation brothel in um, um, Regency Regency London. Um, which again, you don't want don't want kids to yeah. be exposed to that. What happens is when YouTube age restricts something, it means that nobody of any age can see it. It becomes its ability to be to be stumbled across mm. is massively reduced. So, and obviously the algorithm promotes things and doesn't. And you suddenly realise that your your work is not you're not it's not based on whether audiences like you. It's based on whether an algorithm will put your work in front of an audience mm. to be judged. And again, that's kind of you know it's not your friend is basically the the thing and it's that's true of twitter or facebook or presumably any of them mm. they don't like if you if you do a post that links to a site that's not theirs a fraction of the people who would normally have seen it would see it yeah. because they want people to stay on the platform which on a business point of view i understand but it's kind of it, it's a, the whole idea of a free sharing of expression of ideas and creativity it's all total nonsense mm. Because it's not a free sharing of exchange, because because it isn't. It's not your friend. So I think this 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 journey is working out how to utilize all sorts of different platforms and not just stick all my eggs in one basket. Even though that is really easy to put all your eggs in one basket, because you'll end up with no eggs, and it'll bite you on the ass. And yeah. I'm mixing metaphors, but you know what I mean. It's um, it's it's that kind of thing. So it's so it's been interesting. It's only been the last couple of months that I've really taken mm. Rogue's Gallery seriously as something that I could. And it's been pretty successful, hasn't it? At the moment, it's got yeah. I mean, we we are at forty forty five thousand subscribers and ten million views. That's amazing. And most of those, 
most of those have been in the last 12 months. Yeah. So I started doing it years ago, but the uploads were infrequent and I wasn't pushing it. They were just, just a thing I did for fun. And it was about 12 months ago when I started to do it quite seriously. And then the beginning of this year was when I really started to do it seriously. So then, so about two thirds of those 45,000 subs and 10 million views have been created in the last 12 months. So mm. there's clearly an, an audience for it and an, and an appreciative audience. I've got, you know, I get lots of people saying lots of lovely things on the comments and, and what have you and people supporting through Patreon, which is nice mm. to, to have people. I mean, yeah. it's, it's really humbling, that, but certainly now people are prepared to, um, you know, commit to a, a couple of dollars a month yeah. um, just because they really like your content and they want to carry on with it. That's that's really nice to and heartening. And it, and it means hopefully I can, I can do merch and I can yeah. get a book made, uh, published off it. And, and when the lockdown's over, I can start doing doing this live and do live talks mm. um, around and about, which is something I've been toying with for ages, but will intend mm. to do. And and it's taking that first leap, isn't it? So what was it that made you take that leap? A kind of growing dissatisfaction with what I was doing creatively with my life. I was kind of, when I was when I was on Radio Suffolk and I'd, I'd sit in the afternoon show quite a lot and I'd interview all sorts of really interesting people who were doing lots of, you know, I spoke to authors and people who traveled and people, and I, and I and it didn't matter what they, I was talking to them about. I spoke to a couple of lovely ladies who were doing um, quilting. Mm. I haven't got, a, there's not a, an atom of my body that has any interest in quilting. Not, not, not a molecule of it. And, but they were absolutely lovely and their enthusiasm for what they were doing was infectious. Mm. So by the end of the interview, I was interested in what they were doing because their passion for it had come across. And I was thinking, I would much rather be on their side of the microphone. I'd much rather be somebody who's doing something than be somebody who is talking to somebody who's doing something. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. I, I want to be the I want to be the person doing the doing. Yeah. And it kind of got me thinking, I'm not doing enough. I'm not creating enough. It's not I'm 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 creating, I'm churning out content. Churning out not quite the right term of phrase, but um, but I'm not I'm not building anything. I'm not making anything that's just mine. And so that's that's what got me started doing more stuff on rogues. And then obviously sort of this year I thought no I'm going to this is going to and I'm, I'm getting older as well I'm in my 50s so I sort of thought if if you going to if you want to give this a good shot now's a good time to do it so stop moaning about it stop procrastinating mm-hmm. see what happens what's the worst that can happen exactly and 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 there was that the thing started to pick up and then obviously when this happened when the covid thing happened I was like right well I've got nothing but time everyone's in the same boat just be you know mm-hmm. Again, see what happens. The, you know, you're you're stuck indoors. So, it's it's given me a, a, a kind of a several pushes, and now I feel like I'm getting a little bit of momentum. I still have to keep telling myself, "Come on, keep going." That's that's you know. Oh, when you started this, did you ever imagine it to be as big as it is now? Um, I think I wanted it to be. Mm. You know, when you when you kind of can imagine. I could I could imagine what this would be like if there was you know mm. I can imagine being interviewed about this you know. And, and but it just yeah of course you can like if you formed a band you can imagine being on top of the pops or if you start doing stand up you can imagine being on live at the Apollo or something. Yeah. So uh, I thought I'd, I thought to myself I'd like to have an audience for this. I didn't necessarily think about being successful or making money out mm. of it or or anything like that. But I thought it would be nice. It's something that interests me and makes me feel quite passionate. It'd be brilliant if other people felt the same because mm. that's part of being isolated. As, as I suppose anybody who, who 
who makes their living as a freelancer or as an yeah. artist or whatever. You're in your studio or you're in your recording studio or you're in your writing place or whatever, wherever you do your stuff. And you can feel quite isolated from the rest of the world and from people who think and feel like you. So I think I was more excited about the idea of doing of doing rogues and f- people digging it and getting it. Yeah. The kind of people that I'd like to meet in in a pub. Yes. But I probably wouldn't because I spend my life sort of here doing solitary <laughs> stuff. Well, you should come out more. You came to one of our creatives meetup the first time I met you, and that was such a nice experience with like me meeting because you're the first voiceover artist I've ever met and just having spoken to you for like a good two minutes I immediately thought wow he's a really really good speaker (laughs) I'm a sociable guy and and I've I've permanently temporarily I'm not sure but I haven't had a drink for two years but I mean I used to love pubs and um, and I'm I'm a very kind of gregarious chap it's it's just that kind of nature of when you're 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 your friend your social friends and then there's the thing that you do, and you have your work friends mm. who might be more into your into you know. You can you can talk shop. Yeah. If you if you work in an ad agency, you can go out for a few beers with your mates. You might not socialise with them outside of work, but you've got all these work connections, and you can chat about the, the work yeah. things that that. Whereas being freelancing on my own, I've got all this. Oh, I'd love to have a good chat with somebody about history or or mm. about this, that, or the other. And it's like, well, my, you know, I could with my mates, but it would be. Gr- better to have it with somebody who does similar things to me yeah and you kind of feel quite quite isolated so i think when i first started doing rogues just the idea of of connecting with an audience of kind of again is it narcissistic people like me no it's not narcissistic that that, um uh, kind of appealing yeah finding your community yeah and and then and i just did that and and got a little buzz Mm. every every time somebody commented and said something nice it was always oh that's lovely Mm. and that went on for years so sometimes i I went for 18 months without putting a video up Mm. and it you know, the, it was all very, yeah. you know, and then strangely enough, when I started putting the work in, I started getting the results. There's a surprise. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and that's kind of showing me my, my instinct is I'll, I'll do something. It'll build up a certain head of steam. Then I'll get bored with it and stop doing it and then kick myself for doing that. And I don't intend to do that with this mm. um, because the head of steam it's building is, is quite big. And potentially I, you know, there's, there is things I could do with it as long as I keep having fun yeah. with it. And if, if it starts to feel like a grind, then I'll stop doing it. Mm. Were there any points where it got quite negative? Like, did you get any negative comments or any? It's, um, yeah, I think you've, I think being doing anything and putting anything out there, you're going to get negative stuff. So I've, yeah, there's most people are, are really supportive and say really nice things. There is, and I don't, I don't even mind. Obviously, I don't mind criticism. It's, that's what it's. That's you know, everyone's got a right to do that. And because I'm, I'm not precious about facts. That doesn't mean I'm free and loose with them. What I mean mm. is, if, as I say, if it's a if it's a, a, a rumor, I will say it's because I, I narrate everything in the first person. I, re, I narrate mm. it like it's a person who's who is living in that time. Oh, okay. So I will start every I will start every video with I don't know whatever it is, London 1804. Mm. So for the purpose of this, you're in London 1804, and then the narrator, who isn't necessarily me, I'm not an actor, but I kind of write as different people, mm. will be saying, "Oh, that bloody Edward Sellen's gone and shot himself." He was a this, that, and the other. And they, when he went over to, you know, so-and-so in back in 1890, well, that was only 30 years ago, wasn't it? All those kind of things. So it, it sets you in a time and place, and that gives me freedom to say stuff And mm. as a person living in the 1890s yeah. or whatever, where if I'd said it as I – just, I just find it a more entertaining way to engage with people rather than being like a teacher. 
yeah. and saying, so-and-so and so-and-so did this. And even if you're trying to be all arch and, and funny about it, I just find it's more, more immediate and more earthy if you're saying, bloody Vlad the Impaler. Well, he's, he's tough on crime, isn't he? He's tough on crime. You know, nobody wants one of them up your jacksy, do they? So, every, you know, no one's robbing the shops anymore. You can talk like, you can say things like that because it, there's a comedic conceit because you're talking like a modern person in a historical setting. Mm. But you, you, it gives you a freedom to be a bit more, bit more creative. Yeah, it gives you that freedom to not only step in the shoes of someone else, but also not be held accountable for the character that you've created's views. Exactly, exactly. I did one about. Um, the Macaronis, who were a teenage kind of gang, if you like, in the early 1700s. And I did it from the perspective of one of their dads, sort of saying, you're not leaving the house like this. What the bloody only thing you look like? And, and, the, and the Macaronis, they'd obviously have heavy face paint. They used to talk in fake French accents. They had these enormous wigs, like three foot high, with these little tiny hats on top, and would just kind of float around London, all very effete, thinking they were incredibly fashionable. And the older generation was just like, you look stupid. And it's... It's, but the, what, what, I, what I was basically saying is teenagers are teenagers yeah. and the older generation will always look at them and go, what are you wearing? You look ridiculous. So the conversation this bloke in the 1720s was having with his son was framed in the same way that somebody from the 19, a dad of somebody in the 1960s yeah. would have had with his son if he was, his son was a mod yeah. or, or what have. So just think, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. And that approach tends to have got a lot of people, you know, a lot of people like that and I've heard lots of nice things about it but of course you'll get some people saying you got that fact wrong i don't like the way you speak you're a dick you know you just get people who are nasty for the just for the sake yeah. of being nasty um and when people are correcting pronunciation as well obviously i use various you know depending on the nationality of the person i'm uh, covering and people are usually very nice with you've mispronounced this mm. or this this is pronounced so and so and I always reply back, oh, thanks very much for that, because, you know, knowledge is power, and yeah. I, I, I'm not claiming that everything's everything's right, and any any corrections are, are really appreciated. Then you get the kind of person who's like, well, I think you'll find, and it, you can just tell from the tone of the post that it's like this kind of pub quiz bore type who's really getting off on the fact that they're picking you up on something. Yeah. And therefore, it's like, I could only listen to this for two minutes because you mispronounced this word. I find this, you know, very lazy. Do your research. And it's just like, then I get. Then I used to reply back and go, you know, I'm really sorry about that. Or just be a bit snarky. It's not worth it. It's, I've learned that over time. It's just like, you know, if you're going to, don't let all the praise go to your head, mm. and don't let all the criticism, all the criticism, sink in either, because you'll end up being a, you know, just be all, all over yeah. the place. So it's it's 95% nice things, and it's 5% not necessarily nice things. About one percent of those is really, really unpleasant. Mm. But mostly, I've, I've, I've been sort of touchwood. It's been quite a, a pleasant experience mm. in, interacting with people because I do try and interact with as many comments as I can. It's getting to the stage now where there's so many of them, it's really difficult. But it's again, it's that it's that community. That's a nice luxury to have, not being able to answer to every comment. <laughs> it, 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 it is. It is. It's, it's nice. It's, and it's only very recently sort of got to got to that stage but i'm i'm gonna set like a, a full morning aside and just try and rep- even if it's just a thank you for your comment or just cheers it's it's nice to engage and i always use the name of the person in the in the reply because i want them to realize that i am i am speaking yeah. to them this isn't like a robo auto yeah, thing that's um, an auto answer whenever someone comments if, if people take the time to comment on something then i can certainly take the time if i possibly can mm. to, to to reply and i you know we'll share jokes and and say nice you know or if someone asks a question i'll try and answer it um 
but again that's it's becoming so big that, that that's proving quite difficult mm. but touchwood and so far my my sort of experience with actual viewers actual punters has been really been really good been really positive no that's fantastic and how did this community like how did you initially get that boost of uh, audience it was i think algorithmic yeah and i still don't know why this happened um i did a video years ago called medieval monks and their filthy habits mm-hmm. it was about medieval monks and about uh, um, the idea that it's a man's life in the clergy essentially uh in medieval times because they would drink and they would um have sex with prostitutes and they would not all of them obviously mm. that's a massive over but but uh, you know a sizable chunk of your medieval monk uh was basically do as i say don't do as i do yeah and i think in much the same way that politicians are mistrusted by the community at large today mm. In medieval times, a lot of that mistrust was monks. Yeah, it was like you, you know, don't tr- you can't trust them as far as you can throw them. Blah, blah, blah. Be, you know, don't leave your wife alone with a with a monk because <laughs> you never know, kind of kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that, for some reason, out of nowhere, about two years after I did it, massively up. It, there was some huge spike. It was getting hundreds of thousands of views and loads and loads of comments, either from people who are passionately anti-religion, going, yeah or who are passionately for religion going, you're the devil spawn. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I, I'm somewhere in between kind yeah. of thing. It's like, I'm not, I wasn't doing that to, to be yeah. anti or pro religion. And so there for, for about a week or 10 days, that went, just went nuts. And then it just then it plummeted again. Mm. And I, again, I have no idea why, where that, all that came from. And then that, that kind of gave the, 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 my overall views a little bit of a constant bump. Mm. So when I started doing things again, more regularly, it, there, there was there was more for I guess more for the algorithm to work with. Yeah, I, I really don't know, but it, so you literally went viral overnight and don't know why. No, I don't. No, I don't. And then there was a, a real gap. Yeah, where I because I, I naively thought, brilliant, I've I've made it. Well, I don't know where this has come from. This this will go on forever, and of course it doesn't. A, a peak, by its very definition, goes up and then comes down again. Yeah. So suddenly I'd gone from going, oh, another 30,000 there, oh, another 50,000 there, to going, hang on a minute, I've only got 150. What's, what's happened? And not understanding how algorithms work. Yeah. I still don't really. And that's happened a couple of three times over the course of the last year or so. So a yeah. video will catch and then YouTube will, will push it and then its algorithm will go, all right, I've pushed that long enough now and I'll move on to something else. I was going to say, if, you, if for people who make their living doing this, it, it would it, I can't imagine how stressful it would be. Yeah. Because you, you've constantly just got to keep it's grind as a grind. You've got to keep grinding the videos out, and depending on the whims of the algorithm, you could lose your income, or the whole channel could suddenly flatline, or whatever. It would as if as a as a way to earn your living. Like, it would drive me absolutely insane. But as a as a way to get stuff out there, yeah, it's 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 a big platform, you know. And there's loads of problems with it. I think in terms of its censorious nature and the and the algorithm's vagaries mm. and things like that. But there's no other platform that's that big. No, it's linked with Google. True. They've kind of they've kind of got you by the by the balls, really. Yeah. And there are other video platforms, but YouTube is the one that everyone knows and everyone goes to. Undisputed king. Yeah. None of the others even come even come close. Yeah. And I, I don't think I don't think that's that's right either. It's, I, I don't I don't. And because Google owns it, I, mean, I don't want to get tinfoil hatty and stuff. But I don't, I really don't want all my information to be got through one place mm. you know it's kind of you know google's a verb now isn't it the whole yeah. idea of 
Google and, and almost and, and Google I'll Google something and it's like so you immediately think well that the information I'm getting from them if I look up a certain subject yeah. will be the best information and of course like any any platform like that it's it's not no mm. what you see is what they want you to see and the same with same with YouTube and I suppose you just you know it's like reading newspapers you know read three or four newspapers yeah. to get a, a balanced picture um, but with something like Google which is ubiquitous and it's global and it's so ingrained now into everybody's kind of digital DNA it, it is quite concerning that, mm. that a platform any platform has that level of power it does have a lot of power but then there are alternatives just because they're less lesser known doesn't mean you, you can't use google or use bing or use yahoo or whatever it's just duck, duck, go i think that's the one that yeah, doesn't duck, track duck, you duck, that's, yeah, gonna, yeah. That's, that's good no and I'm, I'm i'm all in i'm all in favor of that i i, I, I suppose i just i you know I think, I mean, like like everybody else, you just get you have to take that eff- make that little bit of effort, yeah, to go on to and to find another platform or go or to compare. Mm. Yes. And, and most people don't have time, do they? These days, I mean, you know, it's sort of it's it's bad enough buying two newspapers and having to read yeah. two newspapers to get a balance, let alone finding and clicking and and you know doing all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, when there's so many other digital things you can be scrolling through and pictures of people's meals and dogs and stuff like that. Yeah, the internet is. Vast and easy to access, but when you're told to like go read three different websites to try and get a balanced view, people aren't aren't that diligent. No, and that's and that's again, that's potentially you know mm. I don't I hate the word problematic, but it is problematic mm. because because you know no no single organisation should have that level of level of influence. Mm. You know, it's kind of, it's almost like the, the the one thing, actually, I'm just thinking about a simile now. The only organization that's had that level of influence globally has been the church before mm. before Google, whereas, you know, something that's something that a, one group of people say is the truth is disseminated mm. across the world. Right. This is probably the first time since then, because whatever... Well, well, Google isn't the only big tech giant. There is, like, Facebook, there is Amazon. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm using Google as an example. But, yeah, those 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 kind of groups having that level of power that from some, I don't know, from wherever their head offices are and wherever decisions are made, that, dis- that what they what their vision of the world is essentially disseminated across the world. Yeah. Um, Before it was Vatican, now it's Silicon Valley. Exactly. I do a video about a bad pope as well, by the way. <laughs> There's been a few. Is it? Yeah, and I, I was I was going to do a Pope special years ago, um, and I still I still might do it because there's yeah. there's the badly badly behaved popes. There's there's a fair there's a fair few of them. Um, I'm trying. I can't even think of them. Pius the Twelfth. I think is the one. I don't know. I haven't got the list in front of me, but no, it's a. He was a bad one. Yeah. But, um, but yes, there's a, there's a fair there's a fair few of them. Just to wrap things up, when all this pandemic stuff is over, what's the first thing you're going to do? Go to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest, I, I, I think just uh, go somewhere really social, mm. somewhere that there's life and there's music and there's people. Yeah, and there's, I'm almost quoting a Smiths <laughs> Smiths song there. I can't, think, I can't think of the one it is now. But there's music and life. Just because I want to to be around people and yeah. I want to be around energy and there's you know that's so that so yeah that that's what I'll sort of get off of mm. is the energy of people and the energy of music in a in a in a lives in a a social setting rather than in my in my house so and it's something that's that's quite easily yeah. sort of sort of doable and then when yeah. that's done then we'll drive to the midlands and see my parents that's great
because I'm not I'm not a monster. But um, <laughs> thank you for coming onto the podcast. It's been a pleasure, and I wish you every success with the Rogue Gallery. Cheers, Ed. Well, thanks thanks for having me. And thank you everyone for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>